Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I'm delighted that Justin Small of Future Strategy Club is my guest today. So you talk about it as a club, right? And it is a club, and it's a club in the name. So what, how do you see the contract, you know, the contract in inverted commas? What are members expected to bring to the table? And, and what, um, and what yeah, it, I mean, I say, I kind of put it as, as the agency remade as a members club. And at the moment, and we don't foresee that changing. We don't charge to be member, members, and we and we put a lot of events on. We put a we we try and get people together, connect them together. It's very physical. We don't want to be a digital platform at the moment. We are actually kind of a bit of a digital platform. We're putting a lot of events, our events that we had physically on digitally, but we have an office, and it's a really great space. We bring we have parties. So in essence, we create all the stuff that. If you leave, this isn't only about people that have worked in agencies, it's per, people that have worked in PERM that are coming out to be freelancer. If you've worked in a, in a big, in a, in a, with a PERM contract with an employer and you come out into freelancer land, so to speak, we want to create a, a kind of club where you can get some of the elements, some of the pieces that you've, you've lost by coming out. Obviously, you gain quite a lot financially because you're, you're you kind of you get paid a lot more, but you lose quite a lot. You lose line management, you lose um, mentorship, you lose. Uh, the culture the fun part of working in an office is having that those friends you lose the parties the drinks the after work stuff you end up sitting either in a cafe or at home on your own for long periods of time and it depends on your personality doesn't it if you're an outgoing person you'll be able to kind of keep those those kind of relationships going and even create more if you're um maybe a little bit like me quite slightly more of an introvert then you, it's hard to go out and, and meet people and so we want to create that kind of that um that kind of feeling of, of being part of something but without the permanent contract obviously and so we put on a lot of services they're all free um but what what we get out is we try to find what we put these people on to work or we they they develop products for us on the marketplace um or we or even they pay us to do a kind of lnd for them which is an additional service but generally mostly most of our member 250 members don't pay us anything uh, and we and we create this culture for them, uh, and and you know they become a talent pool for us, obviously, and that's the model. And so, how do you? Um, it's, it sounds it sounds absolutely brilliant. I mean, it sounds like kind of like having been a freelancer for a year and a half myself. Yeah, and understanding the power of what I'm leaving behind in you know the community. Um, and having some alternative to that, I think, is really attractive. Talk about the because you you got a bunch of members, you got physical space. Um, obviously, COVID's you know pushed all of that online, which you seem to be doing. Um, what about business development, clients, relationship building? Is that your responsibility? Is that you have a team? Yeah, that I so said. So in this model, there's certain things that are are, are kind of future strategy club um, um, kind of departments in in essence, and others that aren't. So we we obviously hold all the legal, all the contracts, all the invoicing, all the admin. So for a client, it's very much like dealing with a normal agency. Yeah. In essence, it's the Hollywood model in some ways. Um, that this side of the business is where we just create superstar teams from from all the talent. So we don't build teams from bench from people that apparently kind of happen not to be on a project which is kind of what happens a lot of the time with agencies is yeah. you get the people that are available but that that doesn't fit the brief that usually actually totally creates mediocre outputs so we can absolutely. build you a team sorry go on no that's absolutely i mean I, i'm just saying yes i'm agreeing with you <laughs> okay great <laughs> and so there's a couple of, i mean we don't want to be what we don't want to be is a digital platform like a a drive-by, I need a PM, like a Fiverr, that's not us. We mm. we are wrapping expertise. The trouble with being a client is generally you don't know what is good in the market and what isn't. If you want to design a new product or a new service uh, and you know that service design is a thing, that's about probably much as your knowledge goes. There's, there's some people that do, but and you shouldn't need to know. That's why you go to agencies. The trouble with going to a traditional agency, and, and most of them are now part of large groups, is 
is that you're, you're in a queue with a lot of other people and there's only a certain amount of talent and you get what you're given and it's quite difficult to know whether you're getting value for money. There's a lot of upselling, a lot of cross-selling. I don't want to do the great agencies out there a disservice, but there are a lot of agencies that, that um, have a lot of practices that I myself have been part of, unfortunately, which uh, have a lot to be desired, to be honest, around when you think about the values that a lot of agencies put up on their walls, you know, integrity, <laughs> honesty, all that. But when you get into the sales process, it's not there. It's just not there, unfortunately. And that's, I started this process, uh, funny enough, quite angry. And if anyone saw some of my first, and there's some probably online, of my first kind of presentations, it, it actually comes off as quite angry with this fact that the, the agency itself, the thing that I actually really value because it's an amazing place to work, is being kind of commoditized and corporatized by by this, um, by uh, the motherships, by, by being bought up, you then have numbers on your back. So everything is about hitting revenue targets. And yes, some agencies manage to d deliver the quality and care and do that. But a lot of agencies have to prioritize just getting the money in the door. And that changes it. I always thought of profit as an agency as a byproduct of doing amazing bloody work, not the other way around. It's not, it's not a, you don't get to some things you do well, some others you don't really care about. And that's the kind of, that's what I've experienced. A lot of people probably have experienced, haven't, and, and have, have worked in great agencies. That's great. And there's, there's some really great ones out there. But that's what I wanted to change is that, Yes, we want to make profit, and, and, and I think purpose and profit go, to well, go well together. I mean, they, they push against each other. But profit without purpose is, is you, you're just kind of ripping people off. And actually, profit, purpose without profit, well, you're generally bankrupt within a year. So no, either or, um, bring them together. And that's, I guess, one of the, the motives around us putting our profits um, or a percentage of our profits into a social impact kind of fund that generate, that drives the, the incubator that we run or that we've started up in the last year. And we've got a couple of, of kind of businesses in beta coming out of that. Obviously COVID has actually, whole, out of everything, it's halted that the most because there's a lot of events that go around launching that stuff and getting people in front of stuff. But that's our aim is to put um, our profits into a social impact fund where we support and invest in pre-seed ideas by our members to get them up to uh, to see where they can find investment and we're kind of building an investor uh, kind of network um slowly but surely to try and kind of feed these ideas into them and help them on they they have to have they have to have social impact um as part of, the, of what they do they're not necessarily charities as i said purpose and profit go well if you can make money and do so and, and 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 deliver some impact socially to your community you're actually in a better position than being a charity because that's usually handouts from the government that are cut. So we kind of like that. And, you know, in my view, you know, there's a version of capitalism that works. Maybe it's not the one we're in at the moment where, where you do get, you get recompense for your risk and for, and for working, you know, your ass off trying to get something off the ground. Um, but it's measured by, uh, it's it, your, what you do with, with, with that, how, what, you're doing for your community how you're connected to community that's how we see it anyway we see there's something really exciting about working with creative people on ideas that have impact um, rather than working with creative people on ideas that put more plastic bottles into the into the sea or put more more shit out there that we don't need and necessarily everyone in the creative industries which is what 84 billion pounds in 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 the uk and i think it's what is it, $350 billion in the US, probably gone up since then, since I know those figures. But most of those people are working on, on stuff that has no impact and they're doing it because they need to earn, you know, pay their mortgages and stuff. But if we could just take a small percentage of these amazing, talented, creative people and get them to make money doing something uh, much more impactful, um, you know, the environmental crisis is coming as a massive opportunity for the creative industries because there's something really exciting about redesigning, you know, plastic with using salmon skins, which is there's just so much happening and it's such a massive industry. You don't need to think actually about being kind of green or being hippie. You just need to look at it as a business opportunity. It's so exciting because there's so much, so much let's, money. Let's, going let's, uh, let's rewind. Let's rewind a little bit because there's a lot no. to take in. There's a lot to take in. <laughs> so um, let's step back to we didn't really address a lot about this. We sort of touched a little bit at the beginning where the agency business has become massively fragmented. Yeah. So what, what space are you playing in? 
what what space of the business do you want to play and what's the core focus of where you play in because you know this is a business that does everything from influencer marketing to yeah. uh, to doing something on TikTok to um, completely re-engineering the digital infrastructure of a business. So yeah. what, what's, where's, where's your, what's your playground? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, my background is innovation transformation. So I've run transformation programs for, for FTSE 100, mm-hmm. Fortune mm-hmm. 500. Mm-hmm. So really big kind of projects, billion plus companies over two, three years. So that's a natural kind of place where we start with services. But in fact, we're only limited by the skills of our members. And that's the beautiful thing about as we add more members, we have well-being people that are experts in corporate well-being. We're developing products with them. So in essence, we are, you know, it will depend on, on how we build our member base. We have some, some very high-end consultants. We have the former kind of CMO of ITV. We have the former digital director of The Times, those kind of people. And then we have a load of amazing lead um, service designers, UXs, creatives, but we're starting to go into, we've got um, people that make podcasts. We're, and, and so our focus is actually not really particularly around um, particular skill sets. We'll add as we come on and it's not really particularly around any industry. We have three core things we're kind of putting out in the market, I guess. Um, the two client phase of things is the FSE market, which is kind of, we bill as, obviously, it's, it's just in beta, but uh, as the Amazon for consultancy and creative services. So this is a fixed price uh, uh, market for creative and consultancy services that are, uh, that are chunked into small viable pieces. Um, and they're, they're assured. Uh, we want to bring in um, kind of uh, the market forces around um, like Trustpilot in, in the UK. That's basically where clients can come on and, 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 uh, and recommend or, or not on that. So really applying the, the, the market to, to consultants, creative services and allowing businesses, instead of getting entangled in a big kind of contract with us and over time, you just come and buy what you want and you buy outcome-based and output-based products. So that's one of our big focuses. Uh, the other one we have what we call cast, which is just it's kind of you know the the agency model, but it's the Hollywood model, which is a couple of agencies out there doing this and doing it very well. Um, and it's basically that idea of building an amazing team around the brief um, that you've brought together culturally beforehand, um, and and delivering delivering that project, and then the team just what kind of what kind of briefs are they? Sorry, what kind of briefs would they be? Oh, well, there's, uh, they can be replatforming briefs. They can be uh, change management briefs because we've got some amazing consultants we, we bring together in squads. Um, I don't think there's any limit to the briefs on that. It's just the limit is our capacity to, um, to build these amazing teams. As I said before, we don't, we don't just build them out of anyone. We build them out of the talent that fit the brief. And so that's, I think, my personal opinion is that now with the COVID coming through um, yeah. and, and this changing of our working practices, um, it's interesting that last year when we pitched for stuff, our model was really interesting and, and ultimately led us to not win some of them because the traditional agencies we were competing against. Now, uh, now pitching now is seems relatively different in that the model isn't a, isn't a question anymore because we're pitching to um, twenty to ten people all in different locations on Zoom. So the idea of having an office in Shoreditch, which is in in London, which is where most agencies sit, very expensive, with maybe a terrace and a swimming pool, it's all that's kind of crazy because in, ultimately, as a client, you're paying for that office. Whereas now we're talking about. We're very lean. We put our rates on. We put our rates on the website, which are updated, market indexed every every quarter. Um, we bake in seniority, so we don't have layers of like um, executive, creative directors coming in for like just to kind of hang around or go for lunch. They are hands on or they're not on, um, and that's I think that's where we're headed. That clients are going to want much more value from what they get from agencies and paying for people just to kind of hang around. Um, and not be on the project or accepting that when you get a pitch you see all these amazing talent and then when the first day of the project they're not there because that's a, that's that happens still happens now it surprises me how much that happens and how clients accept that because what that leads to is very mediocre outputs and i don't think that's bait, bait and switch yeah exactly in america i think you call it yeah bait and switch here's something nice and then later on we just <laughs> exactly that so, and I think it's been accepted that agencies can act like that. I don't know why. I think, you know, when you go into a, to a client, you, there's a tenseness because they know that 
in some way, and this is definitely not all agencies, but a lot, quite a few agencies are looking to try and kind of try and find where they can win other work. It's not, it's not solving problems. It's finding things that we can sell in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so what do you, when the members join, do they, is there an expectation of the commitment of how much work they're going to get or is that just, uh, Yes, there, there could be. Um, obviously, this is like a, a bit like Uber. We know we can have all the cars, but we then need uh, we need the customers, or we can have all the customers and we don't have all the cars. So, trying to get it all rolling at the same time is obviously a, a kind of massive challenge, which is spent yeah. hundred hours a week trying to do. But it's yeah. starting to move, and and uh, as horrible as this situation is, there's, there's some models that are going to flourish in this situation, mm. um, and it may. I don't. I mean, people have. I've kind of said this over the last five years, you know, the, the death of the agency. It's not the death of the agency. It's the death of a particular model of the agency where we accept kind of overcharging and underperformance. And there's no reason why you should do it. There's loads of professional services platforms like Gobality where you can, you can get amazing consultants. But I'm not, I think the big difference for us is that we want to be a physical agency that we want to be in front of the clients. We want to manage their account. We want to do that. We want to do it with amazing freelancers. And it's funny because freelancers in agencies have been for a long time seen as second class citizens. They don't get, sometimes they don't get the breakfast. They're not allowed to, to kind of do certain things. They just kind of come in, do your work and kind of piss off. In fact, we see freelancers as, as kind of superior to, to perms in some ways because they're, they're only as good as their last job. They're always, they should be always on their toes. They should be learning. Um, and if not, we can help them. But they, they are the committed ones because they are judged by what they did last time and they have to build relationships to win work. So actually for a, for a client, having a team of freelancers is, in our view, uh, better than having a team of perms. We actually built an amazing team for a client at the moment that we're just starting with, which is a team of the most um, experienced kind of creative, design, creative directors, designers, UXs in a particular industry that you would never be able to, you'd never, you'd never have to, oh, sorry, um, you, should, I, should I do that again? No, it's fine. Okay, so we've built, we've built a team of amazing um, kind of talent that you would never be able to get in an agency because they would never all exist at one point in an agency. And I think that's, that, that kind of model is the one that I hope clients are going to wake up to because it's, it's what's best for them, in my view, or our view. Okay, sounds good. Um, what else? Oh, hold on. Sorry. Um, turn it off. I turn it off. <laughs> turn my phone off. Sorry, go on. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess um, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty. What if, so? Um, what was my? What was? I had a question and then I forgot completely what I was going to ask. Sorry. Um, oh yeah, you talked about benefits. So how does the benefits work? I mean, you know, we got the Uber, Uber issue and Lyft issue here. Are they employees yeah. or are they contractors? They're 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 freelancers. Um, working on a project by project basis really um and that's really important for us because there's a there's a whole thing in the uk um called ir35 which is um trying uh, which is just a, a tax kind of rule that is affecting freelancers quite heavy quite, quite heavy and that you can't just work continually for someone you have to you if you do your your class employee obviously for us that's that's a challenge but so we work on a contract per contract basis uh, we have a kind of um, a kind of members agreement that goes over the top and then if you work for us um, you work on a, on a kind of statement of work so that kind of solves that I guess that's the work is, is, a, is a big thing for some people but I think the other side of it is we want to we, we want to kind of help our members uh, grow and, 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 and kind of develop as, as freelancers the problem with being a freelancer is that you come out of, of home where as I said before you lose that kind of learning development you learn you lose kind of um the the kind of mentorship and we want to replace that uh with a with a kind of um a product we're calling fse grow which basically is lnd is, is a service for freelancers there's there's a, a massive increase every year of freelancers coming into the market but if you're not uh 
on on your own learning development if you're not really pushing that if you're not really developing yourself which a lot of some people are but a lot of people aren't then in two three years time you could find yourself behind um in skills or kind of outside of a market that you should have been developing towards and so we really want to help our members do that we we do it for free as a basic part of the membership but we're going to launch a kind of monthly at a kind of gym cost type LND where you'll get kind of a, a personal plan and we'll be able to put you in front of mentors and and actually also create content that will help you and that's a really important part from for us because obviously we want to put amazing people into clients uh, and so it's it's kind of um it's it's kind of one of our motivations is to is to make our members even better than they already are and they are already great anyway because we're kind of working with the best talent in the UK so yeah how does it work is it is it like um you know, like a, a Premier League soccer club where you've got scouts looking for talent. <laughs> um, um, or are they, all, are they coming to you? Because I mean... Yeah, at the moment, um, as you can imagine on a, you know, this is, this is a bootstrapping. Yeah. They're yeah. coming to us, actually. They're coming to us, which is really nice. But we are in July about to kind of do some, sort of kind of run the campaign and kind of launch ourselves publicly and get and, and do some PR and stuff. And, and one of those, one of the focuses is around... Uh, talking to freelancers and, and getting and letting them know that we're here not necessarily um for work which we we will be talking about but also around that what i talked about the being in just having a place to to be and 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 uh and and to kind of you know replace what is missing from a freelancer life for some people not for everyone is that is the community we want to create a community of, of, of create of amazing creative talent very varied and i think one of the one of the, a lot of the feedback we get a, a, a lot of the time is that when people come to our events, they just meet amazing people, really interesting people. And that's funny because when freelancers come to events, they're very, um, because it's part of their job, they're very open and talk. But, um, but actually we've noticed a difference when we have like kind of like clients at events that changes slightly because when you're perm, you're, you're, you're less, you're more insular, which is kind of interesting kind of um, thing about freelancers is that they're very interesting people to sit next to at a dinner party. Yeah, no, that's great. So um, I'm, I'm trying to think, you, you've, what I think is amazing is you've, you've really thought about this. I mean, you've really thought deeply about what this what the clients need and what uh, what the freelancers need, and that's really 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 interesting. And it you know it brings in. I love the way it kind of bring. I love the continual learning thing. I mean, is there? Um, I mean, obviously, there's also this kind of. I mean, it's also some of the weaknesses um, inside of agencies is there's very bad post mortem analysis on work. I mean, a lot of these agencies have these big clients. There's no sense of accountability necessarily or responsibility. And the, there's no kind of evaluative uh, experience that people go through once a project's been completed or even during the project. And that's really a lot of times, I mean, you know, agencies, agency relationships break down. They do break down because of the bait and switch. You know, you, you do hear mm. clients say, I was promised a senior team and they never showed up. And that's why we're firing these guys. Um, but it's also yeah. on, on quality, you know, on quality of work. The, you know, the strategy wasn't right. The work wasn't right. It never performed in the market. There was no accountability. It wasn't measured right. I mean, are you factoring, are you thinking that's an important part of, of the way you work? Yeah. I mean, our, our values are, are, are craft, quality and care. They're the kind of three things that we talk about quite a lot. And craft is a really important one. I, you know, I worked, I've built teams around the user experience teams and strategy teams and, and the idea, you know, especially in UX, if you look at that, that's that's quite new. I mean, seven years ago, you know, eight years yep. ago, come from HCI, didn't really exist. It's now a, a kind of a, quite a well-trodden path to get into agencies and get in some amazing, really lovely work that you do. This that's seen as a practice. That I think the UXs that I know and work with see it the same as maybe as a, as a carpenter would see their work. Yep. You know the outputs are, are crafted and and what is really i think that anger i talked about before was comes from when you, you get people setting up agencies as, as investment vehicles i.e you set it up after five three years you you sell up to a larger group and you, you spend two years getting your own out and off you go um that 
I don't have a problem with people making money like that. But what it does do is it really diminishes the experience of these young, kind of young talent who go into agencies having thought that they're getting into this amazing kind of career path. And, and what happens is the, the, the kind of financials impact on the quality of the work. So they take, you know, you cut costs that you cut kind of out, you, you take on projects that you can't do for the money in order to just kind of, and you knock it out. It's almost like uh, in the UK, you call it panel beating, you know, it becomes just, uh, uh, as I said, a vehicle that each account becomes a kind of a, a mainly focus on revenue. And I'm, I'm, I am actually talking quite generally. So, you know, there's a lot of agencies, this isn't the case, but I've experienced enough of it to know that it is a case in, in quite a few. And that that's kind of, that's really disappointing, I guess, because actually a lot of talent moving are moving client side or they're going to kind of Facebook and Google and those. And, and I think the real fight for agencies is not around clients. The competitive advantage isn't to win clients, it's to actually retain talent and to retain some kind of um, loyalty from that talent in, a, in, an era, in an area we might be going into where freelancers um, will, st- will be, you won't, you know, because of COVID, a lot of agencies will have to get rid of a lot of staff, but they'll want to rehire them per project, much like our model. But why, my question would be, why would that talent want to work for an agency that doesn't have a firm contract with you therefore has no no kind of you have no reason to have to work with them do we do we see freelancers start to pick the agencies they work with based on their values on their on their culture on their purpose and that that's a real bastard to to say lightly for a lot of the agencies that have been working towards kind of financial goals because they've they've let that go they really have i mean ogilvy is an example um, which they were very honest about, and I think that's good. When they they when that video of, of that they made for the detention centres in the US came out, and and they got all the staff went up in arms, and the CEO came out and said, "Look, if we didn't do that, we would lose whatever a 15 million contract with the US government over here." That's the reality of of these large agencies. They're now corporates, and the merging of agencies with corporates and uh, is is a is quite a big shift. If you remember. Uh, agencies 20 years ago were the were the guys and, 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 and girls with, with t-shirts and trainers and at one side of the table and all the client were all in suits at the other side and that 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 differentiation worked because the client the, the client couldn't get the thinking um, in their culture of, that the agency had so there was a real kind of value there now when you sit around and with an agency and a client everyone is dressed halfway between that everyone's dressed the same they all have beers on a Friday night all corporates have that now so all the kind of elements that the agency had had to uh, retain talent are now copied everywhere you know um especially like the um especially like the 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 ping pong tables and this and yeah exactly yeah i think in our issue issue two of our mag we have the nine must-have artifacts for an agency and it's a dog a ping pong table um an old typewriter somewhere you have to have an old typewriter. Uh, uh, what else do you have? Uh, you have you have your awards everywhere. Magazines yeah. like design magazines thrown all over the place. Um, those kind of things, and it's become a bit of a joke. Uh, it is a bit of a joke because I liken setting up an agency to uh, to kind of buy and opening up an Irish pub. Irish pubs, you just go through a catalogue and pick out you know your old guinness adverts your plates that go on the wall whatever and so agencies are much the same what what values do you want us to spray paint on the wall oh yeah okay in human and you know whatever <laughs> and it's it's that's really sad although obviously it's just part of the process of, of something becoming mass but i believe we could go that there, there's there's still a lot of talent out there that want to work in in smaller more value-based agencies I always see the agency as where the misfits went, where, you know, in the maybe the 70s and the 80s um, in the States, where I think kind of the kind of agency culture probably came out of Silicon Valley of the startups. You know, if you think of the 90s or 80s and 90s, if you wanted to work at a corporate, you basically sat at your desk, wore a suit and tie and, and you were in strip lighting and, yeah, you know, that was it. Now, if you worked at a, a, an advertising agency or, or a kind of the beginnings of the creative agency, I guess that goes with digital at the end of the 90s, maybe. You suddenly, you were allowed to sit anywhere you wanted to. Um, you dressed how you wanted to. Uh, you kind of, you even might have a breakfast given to you. And, and that collection of amazingly talented people that didn't fit into the, the strict kind of, you know, um, way corporates worked at that, the corporate culture, which is still prevalent today, I guess, was what agencies came. They, they managed to kind of kind of hard, bring all the cats together 
and and kind of almost keep them in in almost in 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 one place and get them to work on stuff and they're brilliant creative minds and you know tech minds allow them to to kind of flourish yeah. and i mean i i would say i would say i would say that that was those were the exceptions to the rule mm -hmm. i mean they were definitely like the ddb back in the bill burn back days you know you had these amazing uh, the TV uh, Shire Day back in the early days of Shire Day, uh, they, they had these cultures that were truly exceptional, and yeah. they were they were driven by exceptional leaders who knew what they wanted and had a vision, and um, they found that they attracted the talent, and it was really to be often. I was having a discussion the other day uh, with a guy who's just started a really interesting shop in Canada. Um, right in the middle of COVID with some top talent in Canada. And we were talking about teams, you know, an agent saying, and they're not buying individuals necessarily, they're buying a team. And, uh, it, you know, how, how can you keep that team thriving? How can you keep it motivated? Um, you know, those are, the big, those are the big challenges because a, a, a team, when it's firing, like any sports team, a team in, who works in the communication yeah. business is pretty seductive and attractive. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that is exactly one of our challenges is, is building a, the thing about the Hollywood model, the problem with the Hollywood model is, is that if you're, if, you know, you have just to go into that, you have a DP who works, who's worked with the creator, yeah. the director before or the editor, whatever, they have relationships, but you never probably have the whole team that has a full relationship. And so the culture of that team has to be built there and then, and obviously most films take what, two, three years. So that can be built. And then, you know, hopefully you bring some of that team so that we have those teams, but the club itself and the, the model of the club is what we want to create that culture that is missing when you bring these amazing teams together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, agencies have that over us in that they have all these people under permanent contract and they can, can, you know, can make them come into an office and sit and do the stuff. We can't make anyone do anything. Every, everything we do is because with, with our members is because they want to do it. They have a lot of options. So into that, that idea of a kind of consensus of talent in an agency means actually for us that the, the teams are stronger because no one is being forced to do it. Yeah. Um, but also means that we have to put a lot of energy into that, I think, and, and make sure that we're building that, that, uh, that culture, bringing that talent together. Because um, I think, yeah, buying, you know, so you compare us to like Fiverr or one of those ones where you're just buying individuals at a kind of price, that's completely different in some ways because you are actually buying from us what we want you to buy is outcomes you know you're definitely buying outputs but can we can we sell outcomes that's you know every agency struggles with trying to sell and if they come in and say we sell outcomes and you know tell us what you've done you know sometimes it's a challenge you know it's a creative market you're doing creative stuff but that's i think clients should expect that i think they should expect to buy um outcomes and uh, from agencies um who, who kind of sell themselves as being kind of near god in terms of their creative skills um so therefore kind of put you know you know put your money on the table is a challenge but um but yeah i think the mod the model of of, of bringing talent uh, talent to the to the brief instead of a brief to the you know sorry the other way around the brief to the talent is, is probably the right one to go with uh, in our view anyway yeah no, that makes i mean that makes a lot of sense so let's talk a little bit about the the idea around the business ventures piece so You've got these members. Do you have? Do you have like a? Do you have a? Do you have any goals as far as members are concerned? Do you think there's a? I think there's a threshold and an ideal. I mean, you did sort of talk at the beginning about this for being super expansive, and there is no limit. But well, well, my members director did kind of disagrees. She thinks there is a limit. I think because we're never going to have 100% of all our members' time. They're always going to be doing other stuff. And we want them to be because it makes them better. It makes them stronger. They can't always be, we will never have them always working for us. And I don't think that's healthy. So there's, I mean, in essence, our capacity um, is a percentage of the total of our members, obviously, because if we want, if we need three service designers and a, and, a, and a kind of creative director, we may have that, you know, at the moment, we may have 15 to 20 service designers and then, 10 creative directors, the percentage of those are going to be available on the day is, is it kind of how the business model runs, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think I, I always thought of this as, as a locally, I think, you know, actually before this is before COVID. So maybe that's changed slightly, but I always thought of it, we'd have a London FSC and, you know, we, we don't expect people to come into the office 
um, generally it's at parties, but if you're working, maybe there's a couple of times you, you sweat, you come in the office. The office is set up like a open space, so you can just come and work as a member mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but I thought, well, we might have a Manchester FSC, might have a New York FSC, and I was talking to people in the States about setting one up in San Francisco, testing the model out. And that's still interesting to me because we want to be a physical agency. We want to be, uh, yeah. hopefully, when we can return to that, we want to be in clients' offices and working. I think there's nothing that beats... Uh, working in a war room in a client's office. Uh, you know, we are doing what we're doing now. We're using Miro and all those kind of these really great tools that allow us to collaborate with um, with clients uh, over a kind of virtually. And some of those tools will stay because they're actually better than standing in front of a wall in some of them. But what we don't want to lose is the ability to go in and meet clients and, and hear them and, and build relationships. Because in the end, we, we're kind of, I guess it sounds a bit trite, but we're looking at the long term. We want to build long term relationships because it just makes sense. Why I don't understand why agencies are so short term in, in terms of um, they kind of I don't think clients last more than a year and a half with most agencies um, in, in the kind of the digital space. That's how long it takes you to work out that they're not very good, get the kind of mediocre output and get rid of. <laughs> That's yeah, a joke. Yeah. But, you know, but it is kind yeah. of like that. You know, if you do a, a big, large website, it is about a year and a half. And you should be you should be in that with that client and helping other things. But sometimes that doesn't happen. So. Um... So you've got a bunch of members and then there's, there's a business, you know, you've got this startup idea, incubator idea. Yeah. So, so how does that actually work? You, I mean, because I'm trying to kind of envisage, so you've got 500 members. Uh, is there a, how does the system work? Are you, are you having a sort of submission call for submissions, a call for... Yeah, we just get, we do, a, we have a surgery, um, which is actually turned into, we've kind of used it for, to help businesses and, and, our, and members and non-members actually with, kind of COVID so we put our advisors on that you can you can basically ask for a call for, for, for 50 minutes uh, with what with us about something that's you know that you need help with um yeah. but that that surgery was around the, the about FSC incubate which was that you, you came in to see us with an idea and we'd give you a free a free kind of two-hour whiteboard session on the idea and then yeah. if we were if we felt that we could help you i mean our skills in this the, the value we add to this we get a lot of people who are maybe engineers or, or experts in yeah. industry, which who are marketing and brand people and yeah. so the expertise that we've so far is is turning turning ideas into something you know building brand frameworks on uh looking at the customer journeys that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and so that we we give a, a kind of initial free and then and then we we go through a, a kind of an alpha beta uh, so we go for an ideation alpha beta process and, uh, you know, into the alpha. Um, it depends where your idea is when you come with it. If it's on the back of a, of a, of a kind of, um, a kind of uh, a piece of paper or whatever, yeah. then, you know, the, 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 we take, we kind of obviously take equity along that way. Um, and the, 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 the less of an idea you have, the more we help you, the more equity you take. If you're in beta, then actually, you know, it's about kind of just getting you ready. So we actually, our skills fit really well into that kind of really initial stage of thinking through the idea. And we have some amazing experts in the network that we bring in to, to these meetings to, to kind of help help the thinking. We don't, we don't necessarily have to be involved in all of them or back any on, but, you know, I don't know. For me personally, I find that an amazingly um, thrilling and, and, and kind of satisfying part it's kind of using the skills that I've used a lot to help great clients. Um, but, but this is kind of helping people start businesses. There's something really, really, really exciting about that, that I, I feel that it's kind of like an area I'd like to spend a lot more time doing actually. Have you thought of a, have you thought of the hackathon model Are you using that in any, any way? Yes. Yes. I you know, the, <laughs> the, the one problem we have is, is that our capacity as, human beings you know we're we're trying to we're standing up a you know that obviously the incubate everything won't make any any kind of kind of revenues until something yeah, matures, yeah. This, is, this is a side project yeah well it's not we put as much energy in that as we yeah. do in the other ones but we have to see it that it's not the engine that drives we need to drive uh -huh. revenue to feed that and that's yeah. the model and I actually really, when, when people come to talk to us about the business, that circular model of putting, of mm -hmm. connecting yourself to the community mm -hmm. by using a percentage of your profits to put back into what you're mm -hmm. around the area. I think 
one you could see it as a pure marketing move that, that it is a marketing budget you know you're putting some of your profits back to into something to, to help the community that you come from or that you're selling into or the product is part of uh, and it just it's an amazing business with that circularity i think that's the authenticity that comes from that is is the key to everything that we we want to do really i don't i think business more, you know here has you know in the uk has pretty a bad name because of things like the apprentice that, that that show business as in the only the only kind of value of a business is 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 creating it and selling it and making yourself a load of money and we've lost that idea of you know handing down businesses to your to your family building something that goes across generations some building something that that actually helps a community that used to be what business was and i think you know not to get into kind of you know economics or, or politics but that's where capitalism has to go back to where businesses are connected to their communities and feed and help and and and, and uh, develop with their communities instead of as soon as they make enough money they go to offshore and don't pay tax that's kind of a you know that's just a, a totally different idea and i can see why people do it yeah but but i think business if it's gonna if this is a visit if there's a version of capitalism that makes sense to us as a society then it has to be the one that's connected to to kind of having impact in the communities that they 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 that they come yeah, from. Yeah, I mean, I've been having this discussion quite a lot. I mean, I think yeah. it, it goes back to your it goes back to your agency point. You know, why are agencies behaving the way they do? Because they're answerable only to two groups of people, which is Wall Street yeah. shareholders. Yeah. Share, well, shareholder value is the one is the measure, which is right. so people have talked about how ridiculous it it disassociates so, you from what you're meant to be doing. I think, in my view, anyway. So got, someone's got to create different incentives. I mean, I like the, you know, city of Amsterdam donut model. Okay, so. Yeah, so you know, like, tell me a bit more of that. I don't know that. So I know you donut economics, but I don't know that. Yeah, well, it's developed by, a, by an English lady, actually, the donut model. It's, it's, it's basically a sustainability model. Okay, yeah. And so, you know, the way I look at it is you can't, you can't, we can't afford to keep doing business the way we're doing it. It's the planet, there's not, it's not a sustainable absolutely model so you start you almost start there then you start to reinvent and then you start to look at social issues and community issues and justice issues and if you look at the donut model it kind of incorporates all those things it basically starts to reevaluate what gdp means yeah yeah and, and you start to have new measures and metrics and you know if amsterdam is going to implement that policy and and me measure their progress and design their transportation and their infrastructure around delivering to that model. I, and yeah. I think something, those things are really interesting to look at right now, because I, I believe so everything's up for reinvention. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think you'd look at that structure, but I would obviously coming from a brand, I would also look at it, and our next white paper is actually on, on the potential for brands in the sustainability revolution. Not from a point of view of, of okay, you need to save the world and it's your, that, yeah. I think that's taken for granted. It's, if you move now, once regulations come in, you'll be ahead of your competitors. Your, your customers are starting, I think Mintel report last year was showing that customers are quite a high percentage are, are moving away from, from products that they can't see are, are, are kind of sustainable or, or don't have any, any purpose beyond making money. And as a brand, if you, you know, it's, it's a big, it's, it's another, it's a transformation. We've just done the digital transformation. Now it's a sustainability transformation. Yeah. If you're making a product or service, you need to kind of work out how you're going to get out of your linear model and how you're going to get circular. And it's a process. There's no way you're going to flip the switch. It's going to take you five years. Um, you know, IKEA are doing some amazing stuff and committing to some amazing stuff. And we've been talking to, to some of the people that are doing this. And, and if you just see it purely as a commercial move, um, without getting into what the world's going to kind of burn if we don't, then it makes sense even in that move because you, if you in three years time have not done anything and you're manufacturing a linear process and you know taking stuff out and then chucking it away, yeah. uh, your competitors if they've if they've done any element of this journey, you're you're in you're in trouble. You really are because I think what's going to happen is we I hope us consumers are going to are going to start making more and more decisions based on this. And uh, yeah, you can fake it for a while, you can greenwash it. But ultimately, that's not that's not going to stand. Yeah. Against, I mean, I just had no. I agree, I, and I had this conversation. I mean, I think that I think there's another element to this, which is sure. risk, and risk has a value. And if you do, if you if you're not um, so, if Brazil, because of climate change, moves from two harvests to one, and you're you're in the food food business, and a lot of your supply comes from Brazil, you're completely yeah. screwed. Mm -hmm. So it's a risk. 
So what, you, what's, what will happen is um, analysts will start looking at risk factors and they'll start, like, they'll start evaluating companies on how well prepared they are for potential risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's really, really fascinating. The other thing I, I believe is, I, be, I think sustainability has been, ru- ru- the roost of sustainability has been ruled by marketers and bullshitters. <laughs> and, and Volkswagen did an analysis, they got deep data analysis on what was um, better for the planet, a diesel car or an EV car. And it was very, very hard to tell what was actually better because the EV car had a lot of environmental costs built in at the front end. Yeah. And so the, I see the sustainability people becoming much more powerful inside their organizations and kind of calling the brand leaders to task. Because if you can't, you know, I think as you go back to your consumer point, if we can't, if you can't prove that you are better and you don't have the data to support it, I think you are going to be, you are going to be in trouble. And also, you won't be bringing things to the bottom line financially if you're not inter- in, you know, interrogating the data to prove that this is of a benefit. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a blockchain is being used in, in, in terms of supply chains. Um, I saw yeah. one recently. I can't, you know, in order for, for, to be able to follow, it's going to take some time, but it's not more than three to five years ago, and that's a way, and that's how long it takes to to possibly for a transformation of this sort to, to get really get going. Uh, and there's some, some great examples out there, but not many, unfortunately, but there are, there are some of companies already kind of saying, I see the writing on the wall, I see regulations coming in, I see my, my customers starting to turn away from me, we're gonna put this target in front of us and we're gonna go for it. And IKEA have done that actually as well. Um, yeah. There's some really good examples of how just by, by putting a, a um, um, a narrative out there, much like Iceland, which here in the UK is basically a frozen food shop that most yeah. people would never go to unless you're looking for really cheap pizzas, frozen pizzas. They they took a step out and said they were going to stop using palm oil because it was killing orangutans, and and it and they did a few other things around plastic, and they had to come back on the palm oil because they hadn't really looked into it enough to find out that most of the products they couldn't sell them if they didn't have palm oil. So they're moving to kind of a sustainable part, but. What it did was actually put a narrative that, oh, God, these people, yeah, even though they're quite a cheap frozen food supermarket, they actually care about something that I care about. And, and I think it took um, quite a few middle class customers into their shops. Um, and you could say that's greenwashing and there's going to be a lot of that, that's for sure. But um, if there's commitment behind it, it's, you know, that's we use the That's the difference. There's one, thing, there's one thing saying it, the other thing yeah. is actually yeah. pretty but, but it is a journey. There's no one going to be perfect. So we can't, we're never going to have, we're not at this yeah. stage, we're not going to have anyone perfect. So uh, we use the word towards, you know, zero waste is one thing we've been doing in, in one of the startups, which is a, actually a, a, cons- a sustainability consultancy that mm. came out of the incubator. And that, that this towards zero waste, helping companies you know, reduce their waste. There's no way you can go, you know, I personally fail every day at trying to be more yeah. sustainable. I have a family, you do everything you can and you still fuck it up. <laughs> you forget yeah, yeah. to take your bags with you. You order shopping online, you forgot to forget to tick no bags, you get a load of bags. You know, everything you buy has plastic. So we're all on the journey and you know small changes make a big you know a difference in the end. But we all feel guilty or I feel guilty all the time about what I, I'm not doing, what I should be doing. But um I think if we all get on that, maybe we can you know, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if we're going to do it in time, but it doesn't really matter. We have to do it anyway. Yeah, that's an nice choice. So that's a, that's a brilliant way to end, actually, right? I mean, that's a pretty uh, thoughtful, future-oriented. On, on the end uh, of the world. <laughs> no, on saving the planet. Hopefully, yeah, that's a positive so. one. Um, <laughs> this is brilliant. This has been a brilliant conversation. I'm sure we could have done three hours. Um, yeah yeah i'm not sure anyone would want to listen to me talking you know, maybe, maybe maybe we'd have four or five people <laughs> but thanks a lot for your um your time and your thoughtfulness that was a really really awesome yeah i've really enjoyed it i really enjoy it. i love the other, the other stuff you're talking i love the focus you have on um within uh, within i mean it's not all on that but i see a lot of focus within agencies i think it's you know i personally think agencies are, are great kind of organizations that can do an amazing amount of good in the world and still make money shareholder value if you want to call it that but they can and and they i personally think they need to step up this um kind of what's going on in america at the moment i think is a a point in case you know i I get really angry that most agencies that represent 
um, a, a massive amount of the creative uh, kind of talent in this country have no say, have no kind of uh, stance on things that go on around the world, be it fascism, kind of racism, they, because of, you know, as the Ogilvy kind of um, example shows you, because it might cost them money. And that really pisses me off because I think if you're going to represent these, these, these talented people, you need to represent them as their, their, their values and the values you have on your wall and on your website. So jumping on, you know, I, I make a point about talking about, you know, there's so many companies here in the UK anyway that, that turn their logo um, kind of rainbow color for pride, which is amazing. But they're doing it now. If 10 years ago, most of these companies would never have dared do that. They jump on bandwagons when they're safe, when they have, you know, when they're kind of, you know, they've got proper tires on them, so to speak. Um, but there's another way. I saw this thing going around today, which is, which is a, just a, a bit of a piss take of all the brands jumping on the Black Lives Matter thing. You know, yeah. we put the temp tem templatized. Uh, yeah, the template thing with, but you know, and I, and I see that's the other side, which agency can just suddenly just get, kind of go the other side and just start jumping on everything. But when you look into them, what are they doing? Are they doing anything? No. So you got to be really careful with that. I, I'm really up for the FSC having, you know, having a voice in terms of the values that we believe in. Um, and not necessarily kind of party political, but at the kind of human rights level, it's quite hard not to have kind of position on that and not to take it. And I think agencies need to step up and, and have, you know, we had this line, which isn't on the website anymore, because I think that's supposed to have grown up a bit, but it was, you know, uh, finally an agency with fucking agency. You know, the word agency means change. It means yeah. making change in the world. Yeah. You can't find many agencies that make any change in the world. It's at least positive change. And I think that's got, to, that's got, to, we've got to start making these places that, that collect an amazing amount of really great talent together. They've got to force these agencies to do something with their talent. Yes, make money, absolutely. But then use some of your bloody money to do something worthwhile with all that amazing talent. I know some of them do, and a lot of them don't. And, and we're, you know, we're not uh, a shining example of doing masses amount. We don't obviously have much money, but we're gonna try and do our best. We're gonna try and do our best to stick to our values. You know, there's a saying that we have on the wall somewhere, you know, if, you spray, if you're gonna spray something on the wall, spray this, which is um, values are only values if they cost you money. And therefore, if you have values, you, need, you have to say no to whatever uh, kind of oil and gas or to, to uh, the US government because they're asking you to do a video um, showing um, kind of these the centers where kids are living in jails to do it really nice and, and whitewash it. Then you say no and you take the hit. And that in the long term will, will make you more money, in my opinion, than taking the short term view, which is, oh, we have to do it because we're going to lose 20 million over here. Stand up and be counted because someone, everyone has to, I think. That's great. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.